This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And a good morning, and it is a good morning. I'm Frank Proctor. I'm looking out the window here from the Zoomerplex in Liberty Village to a beautiful blue sky. I'm wondering what the weather might be like in Prince Edward County, where our master gardener is located. Charlie Dobbin, good morning. Good morning, Frankie. How are you? Hey, I'm pretty good. Thank you very much. But I'll tell you, it's chilly. <laughs> I was going to say, I was Whoa. thinking about you this morning. Yeah. Uh, so your car started okay? Yeah, got, yeah. yeah. Well, luckily I was able to keep it in the garage overnight, which helps in that regard. But uh, man, oh man, with them, well, let's see, it was minus 17 when I was, uh, yes, coming down the driveway there. <laughs> Ooh, baby. Yeah, yeah but Ooh, bright baby. and clear and cold. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Uh, deer tracks that had been very evident uh, the day before, mm-hmm. uh, covered up by a bit of snow now. Oh. But, uh, yeah, I was hoping to see. Uh, it's been actually about maybe a month since we've seen any deer activity on the trails there. Oh. But uh, it's always kind of neat. when I have, a, I have a car that is uh, a hybrid, so it's electric half the time. And uh, it's very silent when you go yeah. through the forest there and uh i surprised a deer about uh, be a couple of months ago actually uh-huh. and the, and the thing looked at me like a uh, deer in the headlights <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, you know really <laughs> what the heck is that he says coming through the forest anyway good stuff how, how are things out your way what's going Every, on everything's good out my way um yeah we're uh, same thing we had had some snow so it's given us a chance to go out and Track the tracks. Yeah. In my case, it's mostly uh, fox tracks and mouse tracks. <laughs> I have a mouse oh. under my house. Oh, lovely. <laughs> and it's pretty clear. You can see those little little prints. <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, it's kind of quiet. I've got mm-hmm. bird seed out, but I'm not seeing a lot of birds, so I'm not sure whether they're just hunkered down in the cold or what's going on. But, yeah. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, did you receive a, an email from me? It was late last night, actually, when mm-hmm. I sent it mm-hmm. uh, from uh, Joan Love. I did, I did. But before we get to Joan's question, because yeah. I think that she sent a good question, I do have an announcement because okay. I received uh, an email, again, late last night, from Barbara Twiner. She is writing on behalf of the Pickering Garden and Horticultural Society, oh, yeah. inviting everybody to join the society at a Zoom meeting Tuesday, February 9th, 7 p.m., and it's Helen Battersby who's going to be talking about having, quote, Garden of Regrets, whatever that means, I'm not sure. Okay. So, uh, but Helen Battersby, she's great. She's a great speaker, and so it would be very entertaining. So, for more information, go strictly straight to their website, www.pickeringhorticulturalsociety.com, and you'll get linked into the Zoom meeting if you want to participate. I'm quite confident there's no cost for this at all. All right, that's February 9th. That's a yes. Tuesday. I just had to call my yes. phone out to take a look and yes, see what correct. day it was. Yes. But yeah, yes. Tuesday the 9th, right? 
7 p.m. At 7 p.m. Okay, nicely done. All right. Very good, very good. Well, all righty, we've got a number of emails to deal with, including that one from... Uh, from and the reason I, I wrote you, of course, was to remind you that... Uh, Joan Love is the gal who whips up some fantastic chocolate, and I've been I've been keeping um, your Christmas present at home safely. I don't, be- I don't believe you. Hey, I well, bet you're eating it. <laughs> no, it's true. But Shirley is, is eyeing it very, very closely of late. So we have to get to see you sometime. Yes, you better move your hiding spot. But hey, before we go to our break, you better get to work, my friend. Oh Wait, my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> I kind of got all wound up there, didn't I? Alrighty. Phone lines are open right now. In fact, we've got a clear board. So, uh, folks, if you want to talk to Charlie, ask a question, and away you go. In Toronto, call 416-360-0740. Then anywhere in the province, it is toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. If you happen to be a first-time caller, please let Carlos know. He'll let me know. And then before you get to the airway, first-time callers... You're going to hear that. And a reminder that uh, you're to call early. Call often. One question per call. If you can manage that, that'd be terrific. Okay, Charlie, we're going to take a little bit of a break here. I see some phone lines lighting up already. Good stuff. And we'll be along with uh, your questions, my friends, in just a couple of moments here on The Garden Show from Zoomer Radio. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. All righty, Charlie, let's get to those phone lines. Uh, In Caledon, it's Angie on the line. Good morning, Angie. Good morning, Frank. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning. I'm the uh, green tomato strawberry jam person. Ah, (laughs) yes, indeed. What a great recipe. (laughs) Uh, Listen, Charlie, I've got a a clivia that's finished blooming, Mm -hmm. and I have another shoot coming up with a flower on it. What do I do with the original stem (laughs) of the spent flowers? Well, as long as that stem is green, obviously remove the the spent flower petals. Yeah. It does have a tendency to form seeds. So you don't want the plant to put energy into seed production, I don't think. So remove that little top of the flower stem, but leave it there as long as it's green. And it will slowly turn yellow, slowly shrivel up. And as it starts to shrivel, then cut it off right down at the base. Okay. All right. Very good. Same as an amaryllis. You do okay. the same thing. All righty. Thanks a lot, dear. Thanks for calling. Thank you, Angie. All right. Have a great weekend. Thank you for uh, tuning our way here on Zoomer Radio. Uh, Let's deal with that question sent in by Joan Love. She Mm. says, um, is it okay to cut Christmas cactus, cut back Christmas cactus? My brother has one that is massive and really healthy. I told him no more than a third. Just curious about that. What do you think? Well, she's right about the no more than a third. That's always a really Mm -hmm. good number to work with. And it's interesting, Christmas cactus are one of those plants that can live for so long. I mean, we, we inherit them from our great-great-great-grandmothers, it seems like, and there they are 50, 75 years later, and they're huge. So this is the time. Post-flowering, Christmas cactus typically will bloom in midwinter. So once the flowers are done, now is the time to do whatever shaping and pruning or propagating that you'd like to do with this plant. Very easy to cut back because each leaf... Sort of, sort of stands alone. It's like a, what they call a scaly leaf with a, a very clear uh, hinge between the next leaf. 
So uh, if that is where you would cut, don't cut in the middle of those blades. Cut where they come together. And, um, and yeah, just work, shape it. It's a really good opportunity because Christmas cactus tend to be all kind of growing on one side and not the other. So get the, the plant back where you want it, centered in the pot, nicely formed so that it's growing out from the center to the, to the edges and, um, and do that now. And what you're taking off, of course, let what, what you're taking off, just let that sit on a piece of newspaper for a couple of days. And then if you wish, take those little scales and stick them, um, their little ends into a peat based uh, potting soil that's moist and start more plants if you want. Okay. Um, we have a call in from Jenny in Brampton on the line right now. Good morning, Jenny. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm calling about Russian sage. I have all kinds of it, and I never know how to cut it back or, or how much to cut back. Or And, and uh, last summer, it seemed to propagate. I had, boy, maybe 30 or 40 little plants all over the ground, and even in the gravel. Oh, my. Uh, yeah, it's so, a happy plant at your house. Yeah. Or, do you think those little plants are coming up from seed, or are they coming up near the mother plant? And those all are near suckers. the mother plant. Yeah. So those are suckers off of the, the original plant, meaning that they're little stems that are growing off of roots below from oh. below ground. So, so they're coming from the ground. Okay. Yeah. So Russian sage, proper name is Porovskia. For anybody's listening, lovely late summer blooming plant. Super tough, as as you can tell by your experience. And yeah. it's great. You've obviously got it in a great spot. Lots of sun, well-drained soil, which is why yep. it's growing up in the gravel the way it is. Yeah, uh, and it's it's a huge, it's a very very good plant as a it's a pollinator friendly plant. So lots and oh. lots of little tiny flowers. And if you look, you know, on a sunny day in late August or early September, you should see all kinds of insect activity, little insects flitting about. Uh, sharing and taking pollen and nectar and moving it around. Oh. So um, so to prune it, <clears throat> I do my pruning with that plant in the spring. Okay. And it's up to you. I mean, it's one of those things you can prune heavily if you want, like prune it right down to being only a few inches tall, or oh. just prune it a little bit for shape. Uh, if it's, again, if it's kind of lopsided in one direction and not growing in the other, you can shape it. You can, at that same time, use a sharp shovel and sever some of those baby plants from the mother by digging straight uh-huh. down, sever those roots, where the, the root where it's attached to the mother, and then lift the little root ball from below and, and move that plant or share it with your friends. Mm-hmm. And as long as they I don't know if I'm any- ready for that. But I, <laughs> well, yeah. but I will certainly do the, the cutting back because it's really just becoming a bush. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it will. It's a, and, and it's quite, it'll get quite woody, so that's why yeah, the cutting yeah. back is good because you'll get more new, soft, tender growth that will flower later in the summer. So you do oh. want to cut it back just to keep it fresh and uh, and flowering. Oh, thank you so much. I didn't know what to do. Thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. Okay, bye. <laughs> so you can hear a smile in that voice, can't you? Yeah. Yeah, I bet. Uh, we have to take a little bit of a break here, but we'll be back to actually welcome a first-time caller to the show, Andrea, out there in Markham. So hang tight. We'll be back in just a couple of moments here on The Garden Show from Zoomer Radio. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, Forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And Charlie, it's an exciting moment for me because I get to reach for my bell and give it a good ring here. 
That's her first-time caller, Andrea, in Markham. Good morning, Andrea. Good morning, and thank you both for having me on your show. Good morning. Our pleasure. Good morning, Charlie. Um, Right now, I'm in lockdown because of my hairdresser. Salons aren't open. But is there truth to hair clippings, putting them around, whether it be your um, vegetable garden out in your lawn to help keep the little rodents away as long as marigolds say in your garden as well huh um there is as far as i know there is some truth to the hair clipping idea particularly with some of the voracious um pests like deer as an example they will avoid clumps of hair uh will mice uh, avoid clumps of hair? I'm not so sure. They'll probably take the clumps of hair back and use them to line the nest. <laughs> but um, uh, it's still, it's not a bad idea because if nobody takes that, I mean, birds will use the hair also for nest building. So having clippings out there, having them, and remembering as well that hair clippings are completely organic, if they're not used or like as bedding or nesting material and they're not used to scare anybody away, they're still going to slowly but surely decompose and add quality organic material to your garden. So never a bad thing. I just, everything in moderation. Yeah, of course, naturally. And I can't wait to get out of the garden. Oh, my Lord. I'm telling you. This COVID is driving me Oh, no, yeah. I know. We're Crazy. all <laughs> yeah. But it's great looking out the window today because it's so sunny. It's just, you just want to get out there and grab a toboggan or something. Oh, you're not kidding because the building I'm in, I'm on the south side. I face mm. the south so I get the morning sun. Nice. Oh, it's beautiful. You know, being a hairdresser, Andrea, you'd appreciate a little line that I heard with Norm Edwards and uh, our friend Eva D. Actually, a couple of weeks ago, (laughs) Eva said, you know, this is really strange, Norm. Uh, Right now, there's somebody there legally smoking pot and all the while trying to illegally have their hair cut. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you're not kidding. Like, if it's good for one, it should be good for both. You know what I mean? (laughs) There you are. Okay. Thanks, Andrea. Thank you. Thank you so much, and have a great day, both of you. Okay, thank you. Thanks for calling. All righty. Let me get to an email here that we've been hanging on to for a little bit. Judy Emmert in Oakville wrote, Hi, Charlie and Frank. Uh, I was lucky to enjoy nine different amaryllis blooming before Christmas and still going strong. Most planted traditionally. One bulb was waxed, one nailed, one glued to birch branches. All beautiful, straight, and strong. Seems very wasteful and expensive to throw them all out, even in common. Compost. So I'm wondering what to do. Do I let the bulbs summer in the garden or in pots or garden soil, sunshade? She has about five different questions here. But basically, what does she do with them? Okay, so uh, interesting. Good for you for having so many different amaryllis blooming. And I, I agree with you. Let's keep them going. If you have waxed amaryllis, it is going to be difficult to keep that, that bulb to rebloom next year. The only bulbs as far as I know, that will survive the process of having already bloomed this year are ones that are able to rejuvenate the bulb to bloom again next year. And the way they rejuvenate is by growing leaves and then having those leaves in a sunny spot, whether it's in your house or outside once we're frost-free. And those leaves, of course, will be absorbing sunshine, photosynthesizing, and then fattening up the bulb so that next Christmas we have more beautiful blooms. So how do you do that? Well, if, if you have 
and we're listening. They are in pots now. Leave them in their pots. Keep them in a sunny location. Water as necessary. Turn them 180 degrees every couple of days and let the leaves grow. They're going to be big, bushy plants with big green leaves. Let them be that way right through until you can get them outside. And if you can get them outside, keep them in their pots. Get them out in May or June, whatever the case may be. And again, let them grow all summer outside, lots of big green leaves. What I do is I will usually bring mine into the house. I don't cut down the leaves or anything. I just bring them into the house in late August, early September, or even mid-September. But I stop watering at that point. No water. And I just stick them in the basement in the dark and forget about them. And then... At some point in the future, six or eight or ten weeks later, I happen to be in my basement, and I say, oh, and of course, green leaves are shriveled up, but little but flower stems are starting to grow. So they will very naturally start to flower and shoot up a flower stem after they've had that dormant period. And the dormant period is when there's no water and no light. So, uh, you know, that's what I would do is any that aren't in pots now, put them in pots. The wax one, I'd be inclined to try and peel off the wax if you can, being careful to not damage the bulb. The nailed ones, the glued ones, hard to say whether there's a, an opportunity to get those to grow. But you need roots. You need even some kind of a compost, a potting soil, in pots, small pots, planted, obviously, one-third of the plant underground and two-thirds above ground, and water and sun, and, uh, and good luck. Why not? They're the best. You got it. Okay. Hey, you're uh, tuned in, my friends, to Zoomer Radio AM 740 and in downtown Toronto, 96.7 FM. And we go to Durham next to say hi to Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hey. Uh, I'd like to know of the aloe vera plant. Aloe vera? Yeah, how to take care of it. What is fully grown? Turning brown. Okay, stop watering. Right away, put away the water. No more water. <laughs> Aloe vera are, are what we call a succulent. So if you feel the leaves, you'll feel that they are spongy. They're, they're thick. They are able to store water in the plant. So that's why it's very easy. You think, oh, the soil's dry. I better water them. But you don't water because there's lots of water inside the plant, even when the soil feels like it's bone dry. So again, lots and lots of sun. Sunny window, preferably southern window, but western works as well. And and then make sure that the, the plant is right in the window. It doesn't really want to be cold or hot to so avoid drafts, but uh, lots and lots of sun. Water at the most, I'd say once a month. And when you're watering, it's room temperature water, so water that's sat out. And you're watering thoroughly. So make sure that the water that you apply to the plant is enough that it comes throughout the drainage holes and let the water sit in the saucer for eh, 10 or 15 minutes. If there's any left in the saucer at that point, dump it down the drain. But uh, but thorough watering, but not very often. Okay, thank you very much for that, uh, Carmine. I hope you uh, get along with that advice. Um, I want to check a, an email here. Interesting. It's more of a comment, Charlie, than a mm-hmm. question. But uh, you've noted a, a little note I'll, I'll add to it. Um, from Jan Walker says, Hi, Charlie. I listen to your program every week. Tried to get through on your last program. Couldn't stay on the line. Wanted to tell the lady who called about the hibiscus, which she took inside for the winter, that you don't have to do that. I have two of them. And they're about six. Six years old. I've stayed and have stayed outside every winter. They grow to about five feet and flower late August, large red flowers, and my gardener cuts them back to about nine inches when they have, quote, died. She covers them with many leaves. And you have a comment here that uh, what's good about that email 
mm-hmm. is, and maybe you pick it up from there. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Jan from Guelph sent the email commenting on a call that we got from Gloria yeah. in Toronto, who had a very big hibiscus plant that was dropping its leaves, uh, and it's also in quite a low-light situation in her home. So uh, so thank you, Jan, for, for jumping in on that. But something people may not realize is that there are sort of three categories of hibiscus. Believe it or not, there are over 200 different species of hibiscus, or I should really say um, cultivars of hibiscus, but the three categories, one is the tropical group, and the tropical group, if you've ever been to the Caribbean, uh, would be what Gloria was also writing about. So this is a, not a hardy plant. It cannot stay outside in our winters, but it's a very big, it's grown as hedge, for hedging when you get down into the Dominican or Jamaica and places like that. Big plants, beautiful big flowers, red, yellow, pink, trumpet-shaped, hummingbirds love them. Uh, and that's the, the, what we call the tropical hibiscus group. Then there's the hardy hibiscus, such as the one that Jan has outside of her place, which is hibiscus syriacus. Uh, you, the big red flowers you refer to in your, in your, uh, email, probably the cultivar you have is called Lord Baltimore. So again, big red flowers. Very interesting that these hibiscus have the, always have the same shape flowers, not necessarily the same size. And of course they come in pretty well much every color of the rainbow, purples, blues, yellows, pinks, reds, whites. So tropical hibiscus, hardy hibiscus, which is a, a shrub, commonly known as Rose of Sharon. And then the third category are the herbaceous hibiscus. So that means that they're not woody. So in the winter, they disappear. They're gone. You think they're dead in your garden. But of course, in the spring, they will will come up from below ground because the root survives over winter. And it's a very late plant to come up in the spring. So you tend to think, oh, for sure it's dead. I haven't seen it yet. But if you just stake it in the fall, so that you don't be walking on it in the spring, it should come back. It is, like I say, herbaceous, uh, so it's hibiscus, I'm not sure how to pronounce this, moschutus, M-O-S-C-H-E-U-T-O-S, very cool plant, similar leaves to all the other hibiscus, big flowers like the other hibiscus, uh, and and really showy, like it just the flowers are the size of dinner plates once they come up in, they come up in late spring and they bloom in uh, late summer, early fall. So herbaceous hibiscus, hardy hibiscus, and tropical hibiscus. Lots of them out there. Okie dokie. Um, let's see. Well, I'm just deciding where to head here. Okay, yeah, we better get to uh, just around the corner here in Toronto. Uh, Julie is waiting in line to field a question for you. Good morning, Julie. Good morning. Um, could you tell me, like, should orchid plants be turned regularly? Mm-hmm. For sure. They should because they're going to end up all growing on one side. And okay. ultimately leaning because the plants we always say they, they grow towards the light. <coughs> yeah. Okay. Right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, just put it on your calendar. Do it every second day or every seven days, or just do it very regularly. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Charlie. Thanks for okay. calling. Thank you. And a reminder that lines are open. We've got about two at two or at least open right now. And you can give a call to Charlie by using this number for Toronto, 416-360-0740. Anywhere in the province, toll free at 1-866-740-4740. <laughs> 
And I just received a little note that was shoved under the door by Dave Rediger, who <laughs> is one of the hosts, of course, on Dave's Corner Garage. She says, hi, Charlie. We <laughs> bought a cottage with a cedar hedge at the side of the driveway. Hedge is overgrown. Can I trim it back or will I hurt the plant? <laughs> Thanks. Good question, Dave. Depends how big and old and overgrown it is. The, the unfortunate thing about cedar hedges is that people plant them and then they ignore them. And then 20 years later, they go, oh, I wonder if I can trim that hedge. So once they get pretty old and woody and they're fairly naked at the bottom, it is challenging to truly rejuvenate the hedge at that point. Mm-hmm. There's no question you can trim them when they're actively growing is my favorite time. So that would be up at the cottage probably in June, late June, mid-June. And you can shear them. You can shear the top. You can shear the sides. You can do various things to try and encourage new growth. But um, the other thing is consider the soil. If it's an old hedge and it hasn't been uh, sort of looked after because it's at the cottage and it's ignored, see if you can get a hold of some good compost or some um, you know, composted manure or good organic material and get that in around the bottom of the hedge. And I think you'll find if you kind of roughly rough up the soil, get a good inch of, of good quality organic material out there, you will be able to see some good growth on the hedge just for that purpose as well, from that as well. Well, all that hard work maybe will uh, earn you an invitation to that new cottage when we're able to do that. Uh, Yeah, more (laughs) information required, Dave. Yes, exactly. (laughs) We'll bring the beer. Uh, Oh, look, look, Betty is on the line from Canfield. Hey, Betty, good morning. I remember, uh, I guess maybe about a month ago, different ladies called in about their mandevillas. Uh-huh. And I just wanted to share this with you. I brought one in, and it was really, really late. And I thought, oh, man, I've killed it. Well, anyway, I cut it back, and I put it up in the, um, let's see now, the southwest bedroom back in mm-hmm. and watered it from the bottom, and you would not believe all the growth that's coming up. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I just wondered if you wanted to share that with your viewers or your whatever. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> so well, thank you so good... much. We met years and years ago at the Caledonia Fair. Oh, yes. That indeed. was a long Lovely. time ago. Sure was. <laughs> I've still got the, the little bookmark from it in, with Charlie Dobbin put on the back of it to remind me. So, Karen, thank you so much for all your help. <laughs> My pleasure. Thanks for calling, Betty. And, and Betty brings up a good point. Mandevilla really, really responds. She, uh, she's obviously in a bright, sunny bedroom. I bet you it's a bit on the cool side, too, which is always nice. These plants, not not freezing temperatures, but cool, 65-ish Fahrenheit is always a great temperature at this time of year for many of these tropical plants. And the days are longer. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing it. I drove home just yesterday from having uh, had 40 students in the laboratories at the Durham College where I teach, and I leave there at four. I got home at six and it was still the sun, which had really just gone down not long before I got home, which is great because it was pitch dark at five o'clock a few weeks ago. Wow. Yeah, you got it. Uh, okay. We have, um, a note here from Maureen. Mm-hmm. Hi, Charlie and Frank. She sent you a picture of the Herrica Heather she received from her sister for Robbie Burns Day. And in addition to my Irish blood, she says, I have some Scottish thrown in from my maternal grandmother who hailed from Dundee, Scotland. I was given Heather last year and killed it. I don't want this to happen again. Care instructions, please. Oh, and she notes, love the soil your underwear segment last week. <laughs> Thanks, Maureen. So um, 
okay, I see what you got there, and just to let you, maybe this makes you feel better, that's not really Heather. That, so that is a plant, it's, it's commonly referred to as Heather, but as you point out, it's Erica, uh, so it is not a plant that is uh, necessarily going to ever look a lot ever be a heather it is a small shrubby plant it is often for sale in the winter time because it gets covered in masses of little bell-shaped flowers and you're seeing it in the grocery stores and garden centers if you're getting able to get into any of them um, so it's, it's a beautiful gift plant at this time of year to keep that plant going you got to keep it cool like really cool between 40 and 50 to 55 degrees fahrenheit while it's flowering so you need to provide that cool of a temperature for that plant to to stay alive and hold on to its flowers but it's got to be bright a bright sunny spot 40 to 55 degrees fahrenheit keep it moist always moist feel the soil uh when it feels anywhere close to being a bit dry water it <clears throat> But one of the addendums to that is use soft water. It doesn't want hard water. So I hope you have access to a water softener and make sure, of course, it's room temperature water. Misting is a great idea. Don't hesitate to get out your little mister. And do not be surprised when it proceeds to dry up and die. That is what happens to them, I'm afraid to say. And after that happens, it's into the composter. But if you want to get into the, the world of real heather, the proper name on common heather is Coluna vulgaris. But again, and that is a plant that technically can grow outside year-round in Ontario, unlike the um, the plant, that you, the Erica that you were given or the Cape Heath. So uh, common heather, the Coluna vulgaris, needs very specific requirements that are very hard to get for the plant, which is super acidic soil conditions, lots and lots of peat moss, um, dappled sun and shade, uh, consistent watering, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a very, very specific requirements for, for real heather. But what you've got there is pretty, and don't beat yourself up when it dies. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we have to take a next little break here, Charlie. So okay. whip to your kitchen, fill up your coffee cup. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll yeah. maybe try and do the same. And then when we come back, we're going to welcome a first-time caller, David, from Kitchener to uh, the show here on this beautiful Saturday morning in Toronto and generally the province, too. Mm-hmm. Back in just a couple of moments. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And, Charlie, we're going to welcome first-time caller David from Kitchener on the line. Hey, there you go, your garden wings, David. Good morning. Welcome. Hello. Yeah, go ahead, David. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Um, Charlie, I've been listening to you for many years, and maybe I've missed it, but I've never really heard you speak about the Red Wiggler's um, composting worms, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm run, wondering whether or not you, what your feelings on these? Do you feel that it's, it's well worth the uh, the effort to uh, go through this and, and get some worms and use them for composting? Oh, definitely. Are we talking inside or outside? <clears throat> or both. Well, <laughs> some some people do, you know, vermicom vermicomposting, which is the indoor worm farming, so to speak. But the red wigglers that you refer to are, they're amazing. The amount of organic material they can chow down and poop out in such a short period of time is unbelievable. So they make a huge difference. 
Um, we can compost. We can all start a compost pile, put our coffee grinds and our, you know, bits and pieces of things that we're taking cuttings and old house plants and banana peels throw them all outside into the composter, and eventually that will decompose. That will turn into, like, humus, beautiful gardener's gold, as we say. But with in the presence of the red wigglers, that happens so much faster. Well, I must so, confess, I've had um, colonies. I call them colonies. Mm-hmm. And I've had colonies for years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have never heard you really talk about them. And I think it's very important mm-hmm. that it should be mentioned more often and more people, everybody can do this. This is very, very mm-hmm. simple. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, uh, like I say, five colonies of these and, and every year I'll bet you I get almost a bushel of, yeah. of when I, like I, I clean them out, um, take all of their, their castings and I put them on the garden and on my plants and everywhere else. And then I, uh, recycle or, or re, rebed them, I guess you would call it again. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that. So I would tell like, me about like the colonies. How how are they separated out into colonies? Are they living in like big tubs, or, or how do you have them? Okay, that's a good question. I have, um, like I say, five, mm-hmm. um, and you could have as many as you want. Um, but uh, my tubs are um, there. There no lid on them. I just cover them up with maybe just newspapers. Mm-hmm. Um, just lay on top. I start them off with uh, denurtured um, peat moss. Mm-hmm. Uh, moisten that down. There's all kinds of instructions on the internet mm-hmm. on how mm-hmm. to do this. My tubs are about 12 inches by about maybe 18 inches, mm-hmm. and they're about maybe 10 inches, five, seven inches high, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't cover them. Uh, you could if you wanted to, but I don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I say, I just lay newspapers on top. Uh, these little guys, they eat cardboard. I have a woodworking shop. I throw in mm-hmm. wood from my machines. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can Almost anything except citrus. Mm-hmm. They don't like that too well. And onions. They don't mm-hmm. like that. But there's all <laughs> kinds of instructions on the internet, um, and, and it's so easy to do. And uh, like I, like you said, the, the fertilizer or the castings are mm-hmm. uh, very, very valuable, and it's so easy to do. Mm-hmm, I agree. And do you have holes in those tubs? Holes in the bottom? No, yeah. I don't. Oh, you don't. And this is all outside, I assume. No, I have them inside. Okay, they are inside. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, because they... So, I've never kept worms inside, but I have certainly had worms where... Actually, it was a friend of mine brought worms to work for me one one time, like 20 years ago, back when I lived in Richmond Hill. And because she had lots of red worms in her composter, so she filled up a margarine container and brought them to work. And then they sat on my desk all day. And then when I went home, I dumped the margarine container, which was full of, you know, leaves and this and that and the other thing, and probably, you know, a couple of dozen or or more worms into my composter, and I never looked back from that point. They were always there. They were always having babies, and in the winter, they would just go down, and they would go deep. They might even, you know, go right down to ground level or below, and they would just hibernate for the winter. As soon as things warmed up in the spring, they'd come back up and start chewing away. So, no, they were absolutely wonderful, and when I moved here to where I live now, I was trying desperately to, to take a margarine container with me, but it was so hot and so dry, the worms had gone dormant again, and I couldn't manage to dig any out the last day when I was moving. But you can buy red wigglers, as you point out, on the web. 
uh, Kathy's Crawlers is a is a very very um, popular website and lots of good information, as David said, on the web. Hey, David, thank you for calling in. A great suggestion that I hope a lot of folks will pick mm-hmm. up on. Yeah, mm-hmm. super. Alrighty, we have to take our next little break here, Charlie. And uh, when we come back, it's another first time caller mm-hmm. seeing from Mabel uh, Maple on the line, and we'll get to her in just a couple of moments on the Garden Show. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, we're going to those phone lines once again. And Cian from Maple is a first-time caller. Golly, there you go. (laughs) Hi, Cian. Welcome to the show. Hello, Cian. Uh Uh-oh. Have we got a problem there? Uh don't know. Okay, uh we'll we'll uh hold on that and go to Mary, who is from Keswick. Welcome uh Mary to the line. Hey, good morning, Mary. Good morning. Morning uh, to both of you. I um have several amaryllis bulbs. I've had them I've had uh, amaryllises for many years, and I've often wondered whether or not they should uh, be fertilized and or have uh, the earth changed in the pots. That's how I mm-hmm. overwinter them in their own pots. Yeah, good uh, good question. Um, best time, yes, you can fertilize. <clears throat> the best time to fertilize is just when they finish flowering. So they finish flowering. Now it's time for the leaves to grow, and you're going to support that leaf growth by providing some food to um, maximize the leaf growth and, again, maximize photosynthesis and a bigger, fatter bulb and bigger, fatter flowers next year. The question about uh, repotting or adding fresh potting soil, I would only do that when there are clearly roots growing out the bottom of the pot. Um, They do like, amaryllis like to be pot bound and to, for all the the hassle that it is to repot them because they've been in the same pots for years and years, not a big deal. Uh, Fertilizer will look after the nutrition, obviously sunshine and watering will look after the rest. And if you've got masses of roots coming out of the bottom, then yes, consider repotting, but otherwise I wouldn't bother. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for calling. All right. Uh, we have uh, Susan on the line from Maple, as a matter of fact. First time caller. Wait a minute. There we are. Uh-huh. Good, good morning, Susan. Good morning. I'm calling because I need some advice. Mm-hmm. I've been growing four citrus trees uh, for the last two, three years. Mm-hmm. I have a lemon, an orange, um, grapefruit, and a lime. Mm-hmm. I had them in my greenhouse for this winter. And they were doing absolutely beautiful until last week when the electricity went off in the oh. greenhouse. So I didn't know for about four or five hours the electricity was off. I came back, checked on them, and I noticed that they were all drooping. I brought them in mm-hmm. to the house. Now I have two of them in the house and two in the greenhouse. Mm-hmm. The leaves were all dried up and crinkling. I watered them. I gave them a bit of fertilizer. Is there any hope for them? <clears throat> Depends how long and how cold it got. But how long um, were you The electricity was off for at least a good three hours, mm-hmm. and it went down to about 35. Mm-hmm. 30, 35. Hmm. Well, citrus, like a cool winter, but not that cool. <laughs> so right. the sort of the minimum for citrus plants is about 50 degrees Fahrenheit for uh, sort of cool temperatures. Uh, 
The question whether they will survive this is an interesting one because sometimes plants do survive very adverse conditions. A couple of things though, no more fertilizer because when a plant, we always think fertilizer is kind of a great thing, it's a booster and it's uh, gonna solve all the problems, but fertilizer can become an issue because it is a salt. And when you add fertilizer to the soil of a plant that is not actually using the fertilizer, you can end up with a toxic levels of salt build up in the, in the soil, in the pot. So no more fertilizer. Um, the watering question, I would only water if the plants become very dry, like you know, almost to bone dry. Keep them in a bright sunny spot. Get out your pruners. Do some tip pruning, and that if they are alive, that will force them to start to grow. Just that losing the tips is often will wake up the dormant buds. If there's life still in the roots, you, you might find that the growth comes way down at the bottom and not way up at the top. But by just doing that, that sort of trimming of the whole plant, you'll, you, you'll definitely find out whether it's alive or not. And when you're trimming back, if it seems like you're trimming into dead wood, keep trimming until you feel that you're trimming live wood, which of course will have, it'll feel different, it'll look different, the, the little stems that you're cutting into will have a white piss as opposed to a brown or a, you know, a dead looking center to the stems, you're gonna, it's gonna look alive, and it, it, it'll be more flexible, the growth will have more um, sort of oomph to it. So yeah, but keep them in the brightness. Uh, the greenhouse is a great opportunity, like lucky you for having a greenhouse, just too bad about the, um, the power going out or the, the uh, furnace going out. So you need an alarm, you know, you need one of those, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, like phone your phone to say that uh, yes. the temperature you've set it at has, has gone down below that. So you can race home from wherever you are, or race outside and get things sorted out. Cause um, yeah, cool idea and and nice to have i mean it's very very beautiful plants and they're very fragrant when they're blooming and you know oh, they're nice, beautiful nice, yeah really uh -huh. nice to have as a you know something to do so i would yeah just do that trimming i think you'll find but like i say no more should fertilizing I, and only water as necessary okay should i start the pruning now yes the leaves yes, are drying absolutely. and some of them are still um, they're wilting, or should mm -hmm. I wait for all the leaves to fall before I do the pruning? No, I would do it now, and remember, okay. as those leaves fall, clean them up. So really stay, like, get onto that whole thing about good garden okay. hygiene. Don't let um, dropped leaves kind of hang around. Uh, shake the plants, you know, sort of get those, they're going to drop off anyway, so if they're, if they're wilting and hanging by a thread, don't pull them off, but, but pretend you're, you know, a big, a big wind and shake the plants, get the leaves to drop, and then do some trimming back. Do it and okay. do it today. And do you recommend using the grow light from now or just? Um, depends how much. Is your greenhouse located in a really bright open spot? Yes. You get lots of light? As yes. long as you're, I mean, the only thing, the advantage of the grow light is you can extend the day. So as you know, citrus plants thrive near the equator. So their best place, their best light levels are sort of 12 hours bright and 12 hours dark. Right yeah. now, we're not at that in our world. We're only at about, what, eight or nine hours bright. So if you wanted to crank up the grow lights for three or four hours in the early evening uh, or the very early morning, whichever end of the day you want to crank them up for, that would certainly encourage growth, yes. All right. Thank you so much for yeah. your help. Thank You're you, welcome. and don't be a, don't be a stranger now, Susan. Yeah. Back. Okay, you betcha. I love tough questions. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. Well, look at that. The time wow. has flown what by. Happened? We're into our last few seconds of the show. I know the uh, 
Guys from Dave's Corner Garage are revving up the engines as we speak. <laughs> so I got to clear out Alan Gelman and Steve Scheiman. Uh, yeah, they're, yeah, you they're know anxious why? to get going. They'll just run you over. Like they, they're just, when they get going, oh, they, they'll I'm just run you, you down. It's worth your life, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Charlie, it's been a delight uh, once again. I can't mm-hmm. wait, though, until you can come back to the studio and be be here with me. Uh, I know. I, I'm missing you so much, too. But I'm really trying to pay attention to the rules. And well, it's exactly. It's all about essentialness. And since I can do the show from home, I think it's better that I do absolutely, it from home. Absolutely, absolutely, love. Yeah, yeah, have a good week. Thank you, Frankie. Thanks, Carlos. Thanks to all our great boy. Look at the callers and the emailers. Keep well, it up, people. Great to hear from you. <laughs> See you again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.